Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Olivia Charmaine Morris. Olivia is founder and CEO of Black Monarch Entertainment. Previously, she was director of development for original scripted programming for TBS. She's also a friend of the podcast and has been on the show before. Olivia, we are so excited to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm currently taking Labor Day in Lake Tahoe. It's my first time here. So I'm looking at people frolicking in the lake. So it's lovely. When we last left off, I want to say that was about a year ago or so. A, you were in a completely different job. B, the world has changed a lot. Can you kind of walk us through, and I know it's a loaded question, everything that's kind of changed in your career since then and how things have gone from you working for TBS to now being the CEO and founder of your own company? Yeah, I'd love to. So I was at TBS for about three and a half years. I started off as a manager and left as a director of original scripted programming and development. That's the job that I was doing when we last spoke. And I talked a lot about shows like The Last OG, working on the 20s pilot, and really just making sure that I was, as a Black queer woman, was bringing as much intersectional conversations and intersectional programming to the network as possible. And at the top of the year, what I'll say on a personal note is my life went into a tailspin, honestly. I actually caught COVID in January from the Sundance Film Festival. It's a story that I actually broke. There's a story in The Hollywood Reporter called Was Sundance the First Petri Dish of Coronavirus in the States? And that was a quote from me. After I got really... Yeah, after I got really sick, I just kind of started following the story myself on social media. I was posting a lot about my wellness journey, trying to get healthy. As we know, our current resident-in-chief was saying that coronavirus hadn't hit the States until March. But because I was having all of the same symptoms and a lot of the friends that I had traveled there with or people that I had connected with after had the same symptoms, we all just started trying to figure out what's going on. And thankfully, I wasn't afraid of the virus. As I think a lot of people have now been... The flames of fear have been stoked. And the healthcare system wasn't so clogged at the time. So I was able to get testing and antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was really, really sick. And at the same time, I had met Carrie Washington, who I actually met at Sundance. And thankfully, in that meeting, the germs had not <laughs> quite swapped yet. And so she, she didn't get sick, thank goodness. But I did just from that, that festival. And it was the first time after having a series of interviews from TBS trying to figure out what my next move would be that I got really, really emotional. And I say I got emotional because I'm a very sensitive person, especially as an artist. I'm easily moved. But that was different. So I had been meeting with lots of talent around town, meaning other actors, performers, uh, people that were looking to diversify their earnings potential by starting their own production company or expanding their production company. And Carrie was different. Carrie is different. And this is something I said to her as I exited to start my own company. She was talking so much about otherness 
and how otherness keeps her up at night. She talked about centering otherness, amplifying it, and not just otherness. It's anything that makes you different and is, and is often kind of pushed aside. And what was interesting was I've written whole papers about otherness when I was an undergrad at Tisch at New York University in terms of even just listening to the other episode that we recorded. That's all I talk about is centering and amplifying. So that was the first time that I met with someone that I was like, whatever you're doing and, and the company that you have, that's where I want to be. So in March, I left TBS and at the end of the month, honestly, right when the global pandemic really hit and shutdown started, was my second week at Simpson Street. So that job was entirely virtual. I never set foot in what would have been my office in the studio lot, which is so funny. And never had a badge (laughs) to drive on to even park in my parking space. But what I will say is, as you said, Court, we could not have anticipated how much the world changed. I think that going forward, so many things from how we deal with our healthcare system to who we consider to be essential workers, so much, I think, politically has changed and shifted and culturally has changed and shifted, but also the industry has changed. Having to halt production for you know, now it's been almost an entire year is wild. You know, I think artists and performers and development executives, no matter what part of the industry you touch, they're so used to just running and racing and doing pilot season and then jumping from pilot season to the middle of the summer productions to film festivals and all this stuff. So having to really sit down and figure out development, which is my bread and butter, but also really just figuring out what are we going to do when the world opens back up has been stressful, but also I would say a true gift. You mentioned when the world is going to open back up. Have you gotten any hints as to, I mean, obviously it's based around you know what's going on with COVID, but as far as Hollywood and production and all that, are there any hints? Are there any ideas on when things will start to get back to, I don't want to say normal, but have you heard anything? I have. So definitely not normal. We're living in a, a new reality, I will say. But some ABC productions just got started underway, I think a week ago. So Blackish was on set, Grey's Anatomy. I did hear that Robert Pattinson was tested positive for COVID on set of Batman. And so I think I saw that media oh, wow. yesterday or the day before. So I think that's going to you know, potentially set us back again. I know that some CW productions, like one of my dear friends is one of the leads in Batwoman. And he's back on set as of the past week. So it's interesting. We'll see. I think Now that it's fall, I think people are kind of just itching for... Well, one, if you're an actor, that is your predominant stream of income. So there have been some actors who, over the course of the summer, have been writing or producing or you know just staying fit because they're in front of the camera. But for the most part, you know, I have a lot of friends that are talent and they've they've been in a holding pattern. So I think that's a big part of of the impetus. But it, it all it all comes down to money, honestly. And because we've been binging content. Well, really going through cycles of like binging content, but then being like, I'm sick of this. I need to like get out or read a book or, you know, just reevaluating how much time we spend with screens and not being able to really go outside necessarily and do something different. I think what's been really fascinating is kind of watching viewing habits change, meaning at the top of quarantine, at least it was for me and my circle of friends, it felt like a slumber party. Like we're like, oh, we don't have to go into the office for a couple of days. We can just, you know, sit up and watch like contagion and like pandemic thing. <laughs> right. You know, it was it was fun. Like we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then it got to the point for me, and I saw some analytics about it too for other viewers, where people stopped watching that kind of stuff. Where people all of a sudden made a huge shift to 
to comedies and to uplifting content and to escapism, whether it's like, you know, action movies or, you know, still like sci-fi. I think genre will always have a place, but also unscripted. If you remember when Tiger King came out, like that was massive. But there were a lot of other big unscripted documentaries that came out where people were just like, I want to know more about the world, like while I have an opportunity to learn. So it's just been really interesting to kind of see that whole life cycle happen. And now that production is kind of starting to get back underway slowly, you know, people are still wearing the face shields and everyone has masks and you have to get COVID testing regularly for all of the performers. Like it's still going to be very different. I think even in terms of scenes, you know, for people who are listening in terms of the writer's experience, right? If people are writing scripts, having those big scenes where people are just on a subway, that's going to be really hard because all the germs, right? So it's, I think that we're going to have to just be really, really mindful. And, you know, shows like Grey's Anatomy and shows like Blackish, they're built on a set. So you're able to contain it a lot more. But I think a lot of people are interested in doing single camera projects that allow them to go outside of the confines of a set. So it's just, it's really, really critical that everyone is following Deadline. Everyone is following Variety and Hollywood Reporter, but also is following Dr. Fauci, following CNN, you know, following what happened with Dr. Fauci and the bubble with the NBA players and how they're able to start the playoff season again. It's really critical because this is every single piece, whether it's Hollywood or sports or any form of entertainment, it's all connected. And at the end of the day, these are real humans experiencing real things and no one wants to get sick until there's a vaccine that everyone can have. We're still going to be in versions of a holding pattern. So I will just say, yes, there definitely is hope. I think the election 2020, you know, I can't encourage people to vote and register to vote and just be aware of all the different seats that are open, not just with the presidency, but all of the different seats that we have the, the power to change. Because in this period of time, the stakes have never been higher from a healthcare perspective, but also just we miss being able to, to see new entertaining things. We miss being able to see live sporting events and concerts and all this kind of stuff. So I think because we've seen how the current administration has handled specifically coronavirus, I think it's really critical for us to, you know, just consider alternatives if we want to really get back up and running from the healthiest perspective. You just mentioned the power of change. Before we dive into Black Monarch Entertainment, do you have any words of wisdom for those writers listening about how they can use their crafts to promote positive change right now? Are there things that you suggest that people could do? Of course, yes. I would say we want the most potent version, highly saturated, dense version of whatever your vision is. Meaning, I think we're so used to, by the time a project makes it to air, it goes through so many different filtration systems, you know, whether that's a writer's room or getting revisions from a network or, you know, just a customer saying, okay, I know you're saying that this person has to wear high heels, but the actor can't, you know? By the time it really gets to the screen, the writer's vision is going to be potentially diluted, especially newer writers. And that's if something comes to screen. You know, I know that a lot of people that listen are aspiring. So what I'll say is don't water it down. You know, I had a meeting with a writer about two, two, three years ago that I'll never forget. His background was he's half Jewish and half Latinx. And his name, his last name was hyphenated. And I'll never forget reading his scripts because all the last names were like Smith and Jones, and Johnson. And I couldn't understand why. And I, I finally asked him and he said, well, you know, I was part of this really prestigious diversity and inclusion initiative at a network. 
And the executives there told me to change all of the last names because it was too unique and too out there. And so because I changed the last names, they said that the scripts would be stronger. And that's what I did. So I was so grateful to have a one-on-one meeting or a general meeting with him because I was able to say, if I'm the only person that tells you not to do that, and whether you really care about what I have to say or we ever speak again, if this is the only thing you get out of this meeting, don't change the last names of your character just because someone else told you to. You know, Hold really true to yourself. Because at the end of the day, we're seeing that the more specific, the better. The more shows like I May Destroy You with Michaela Cole, who has one of the most singular, specific voices out there right now. You know, that was one of not just one of the biggest shows of the summer, but one of the biggest shows that will leave a legacy, period. And we love our tours. You know, we love like the Phoebe Waller Bridges of the world in television or the Barry Jenkins of the world and features. So if the goal is to be listed amongst the auteurs, whether it's, you know, the Tarantinos or the Spike Lee's, then you really have to craft your work as if you're the author, the captain, the creator of whatever world it is. And honor that space. You know, one of my favorite quotes, I'm paraphrasing, but is a Mr. Rogers quote. I came up on the kids' animation side, working at Nickelodeon and DreamWorks and other small production companies. And as someone who just honestly looks at any viewer, whether they're a child or an adult, as you know, still having that inner child that we're catering to, one of his quotes is, the space between the child or the viewer and the screen is sacred. And so it's our responsibility to honor that space. And so as writers look to you know, be the conduit or that vessel potentially for what we're watching, consider that a responsibility, right? So if you're putting out material that's going to be mean, spirited, or sardonic, or sarcastic, but without having the context or the framework of a real explanation, if someone is the butt of the joke that's of a different culture or background than you, just be really careful. Because as I said, as the flames of fear have been stoked, so have the flames of divisiveness. And so I think in this period where we're looking, where not not we, but I, I say the we as the people of me and my circles in Hollywood, thankfully, is, is typically very progressive. I will say this is why so many celebrities are loud on the mic right now, wear your mask because they want to get back to work. But they also like, it's a courtesy, right? To allow for you to be safe and others to be safe, whether they're strangers or not. So it's all interconnected. And at the end of the day, I would just say, be kind, be mindful, and just be intentional with what you're writing. Love that. I would love to now dive into your new company, Black Monarch Entertainment. Could we start possibly with what exactly it is? So obviously, before you were a director of development, but are you now, would you consider yourself more of a manager producer in this role, You know, finding talent? Or would you still consider yourself more focused as a director of development title? Walk us through your new role and walk us through what type of company Black Monarch Entertainment is. Yes. So when I transitioned to Simpson Street, my title was Senior Director of Development and Production. And it's funny because, as I said, I was doing a lot of different interviews. I was offered so many different titles vice president at this studio or vice president at a network or EVP, executive vice president for talent. That was like, I'm looking for one executive to kind of help create a production company. So the titles in this town are fairly negligible. But I will say my title now is founder and CEO, which is the only title I've had that I'm like, ooh, I'm excited that I got to create it for myself and also be received in that way. 
So as the founder, you know, it's my job to make sure that my vision is incredibly clear, not just for my coordinator that I just recently hired or the readers that I'm having that are going to help me with coverage, or for my vice president, who is, you know, my, my partner in crime, my partner in creation, I should say, or, you know, people who are supporting me as, you know, financial advisors or just advisors of people in the industry that are like, you got this girl. But it's, it's really at the end of the day for, again, it's for the audience. You know, we have a slate of about 40 projects, I would say right now that are TV, their film, their podcast, oh, wow. their unscripted projects. It's so many. And a lot of people ask, you know, how out of the gate, as I said, this is week four of this role. How have you been able to do that? What I'll say is because I was on the buyer side for so long, but there were mandates, there were so many projects and so many pieces of talent that I wanted to work on or work with that I wasn't able to work on just by the sheer nature of the volume. Like working on the last OG was so incredible, but that doesn't mean that I can have 11 last OGs every year. But if I'm taking generals, let's say I just take two generals a day, five days a week, that's 10 generals a week. If we really think about it, I was taking so many more meetings than that, especially because so much happens offline, whether it's at a comedy show or at a screening. I'm definitely a collector of interesting people and a collector of artists. And so Black Monarch Entertainment, before anything else, is an artist collective. Because when I look at an artist, I look at a whole person. And that's how I want to be received as, as an artist, but also as an abolitionist. So when I think about the whole person, that's why there's so many times where someone goes, well, you know, I've, I've done a lot of Nickelodeon projects, but all I really want to do is my dark one hour breaking bad. And you're like, wow, that transition sounds really hard. How are you going to do it? Or, you know, you have directors where you're like, man, I've done 75 commercial shoots that are huge. Like I did three Super Bowl commercials and I made all this money, but I cannot figure out for the life of me how to direct half hour episode of television. And all I want to do is do Shit's Creek. So when I, when I speak to artists, I try to understand their background, where they're from, and also the most expansive version of their dream. And so that's, that's why this company already has, and why myself has so many different projects, pieces of talent that wants to work with me, because people have always wanted to work with me. It's just, I'm finally in a capacity where it's like, I'm not buying, I'm selling. Not only am I selling, in order to really establish this relationship, I have to collect and curate and nurture each piece of talent, which, which is why you said, does that sound like a manager? I think in a lot of ways, my relationship with my talent is managerial, but I'm, I'm definitely not starting like a management firm by any means. Because at the end of the day, most of the talent is, is really repped and you know, really A-list. But for the people who are newer, which is so exciting for me, I want to make sure that they're able to get an agency and able to find their own manager. You know, if possible. So when people come into business with me or with you know the production entity, I want to be able to present all my talent on my slate. Is like, yes, you might know, for example, this person because they did this movie. But I also want you to meet my friend who I went to NYU with, who's just been steady grinding for all these years, and I want her to direct this project. So I think that's the most exciting part for me. And I want to tell you about the name too, because it's really specific. And if you see the logo. It's all in black and there's a tiny little butterfly. And if you really zoom in, the butterfly has a crown above it. So for me, black is critical. As a black woman, as a black person, as a black human, I think because we're in the middle of, honestly, what I've been terming civil rights 2020 and screaming and whimpering that black lives matter, 
I, I knew that there couldn't be a company that I would have where when I enter a room that's so forward facing, if you've ever engaged with me or any of the work that I've worked on, it's so forward facing. So when it came down to the company, I knew that that title had to be in it. Black Monarch is really interesting to me because if you think about monarch or monarchy, it's a queen, right? It's, it actually connotes royalty. But the reason why it's a black butterfly is really specific. So during quarantine, I thought a lot about butterflies and why I identified as a butterfly. And I never really thought of my house as anything but a cocoon. And when we think about how butterflies are in nature, they don't start as butterflies. We know from the very hungry caterpillar that they start as caterpillars. And there's so much work that has to be done before they get to the chrysalis. And what's interesting is it's work to get strong because in that moment, they're still. And when they're in the chrysalis, it actually, I didn't even know this until I think about two, three months ago, I saw a meme that described this. I was like, oh, this is so perfect. Not for the company, just for my own edification in this moment of quarantine. They become goo and they're super, super, it's gross and really delicate. So while they're in the cocoon, they're not a caterpillar anymore. And they're not quite a butterfly. They're something completely different where they have to completely break down in order to build up again. And when they finally are ready to break out of this chrysalis, out of this cocoon, it is so, it's such a delicate, if you've ever seen a video of a, of a butterfly emerging, it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. But once butterflies are flying, they don't just fly because they're beautiful and they don't just fly because that's their method of transportation. They fly for survival. And their wings are so, still so delicate. So when I think about why this name, yes, it can be as powerful as like black royalty, like a black queen. When we think of like, you know, Queen B, like Beyonce, to me, that's, and for so many people, you know, she is the epitome. When we saw Black as King this year, you know, she's the epitome of, of black girl magic, but it's also super delicate and super fragile. And I want people to know any artist that's working with me health and wellness is always going to come first. You know, a lot of these companies are like, you get two PTO days and you don't get it unless you've worked here for six months. You know, as someone who hits a physical wall, a mental wall, a spiritual wall, often because I'm just doing so much to be so young, I never want anybody to think if they tell me, well, hey, I know I signed on for this film, but something is happening with my son and I need to do this work. We've learned in quarantine how much things can be virtual. We've learned in quarantine, you know, right now, we're recording this over Zoom. Zoom emerged out of nowhere as like as the platform for us to do so much of this work. So that's a big part of it. But this last word, entertainment, I want to break that word down as well. Because it could have been like Black Monarch Productions or Black Monarch Ventures or whatever, but it's entertainment. So when I was applying to different colleges, I knew... I honestly actually wanted to act. I, I was too chicken to try out for Juilliard or any kind of school like that. But I was kind of between LA and New York, which, you know, now I'm bi-coastal. I've been between the two cities for about 12 years. But I was looking between, you know, UCLA and USC and NYU. Obviously, none of that's surprising for anyone (laughs) that's aspiring. But for me, I wrote this paper and that was talking all about, you know, what is your value system and, you know, what kind of projects would you make while you're here? And I didn't grow up with fancy cameras. I didn't grow up, you know, watching films. I watched movies. I watched Disney. And I was just like, I don't know what to write for this paper. I've never really been on a set before, except for a couple small things as an actor, as a kid. But 
the paper that I wrote was all about truth. And I kind of asserted my own theory of relativity that was E equals MC squared, where E equals entertainment, M was morals or truth, C was creativity, the artistic expression, and the squaring of it was when it was ever it was amplified through the lens of media. So the reason why I created that kind of basis for everything that I've done. And honestly, I'll even tell you on a personal note, my first tattoo, I have many now. My first tattoo was on my rib cage as a teenager that said, based on a true story in typewriter font, kind of like where you'd put it on a script. The reason why is because I read this book in high school. I think it was like AP, one of my AP English classes. And it was called The Things They Carried. And I think it was about World War II. I know it was definitely about going to war. And the thing that really tripped me out about that book was that one chapter would be telling, oh, I think it was Vietnam now that I think about it. You know, one chapter would would tell a whole story. And then the second chapter would tell the exact same story, but there was a lot of differences. And they weren't huge differences. They were negligible. It would say like, my backpack was red and now my backpack was blue. Or, you know, it was dawn when this happened or it was the middle of the night. What was interesting was it didn't make any story any less true. It just might have made one of the stories a little bit less factual. And that's why people say like truth is stranger than fiction or why at the top of of any project that's based on a true story, it says it's based on a true story. And so as I think about why it's called Black Monarch Entertainment, it's because it's always going to be based on my morals and based on what my truth is. And when we really kind of dig back into source, and you know, again, even referring back to the last podcast, it's a mosaic. And when I say mosaic, again, it's an acronym. I love an acronym. I love an analogy. And I, I, I love an algorithm. So a mosaic for me stands for a multicultural, omni-channel system for advocacy, inclusion, and change. Getting back to that word. Multicultural meaning, yes, I'm Black and I will, you know, I will say I'm Black and I'm proud until the day I die. But it's not just about me. And the story is not just for diasporic people. It's for so many different cultures and especially cultures that are unlike my own and the most outside of myself. That's who I love to align myself with. Omnichannel, meaning it's 360. So there's no projects that I have where I'm not thinking of like, okay, we're thinking of NBA players for this project. And if you're not LeBron or Steph Curry and you have your own production company, how can you work with us and still tell your stories? In 360, again, so... If I'm coming up with a project that's going to be you know, syndicated on Fox Network, is there a podcast that can also go along with it? System for Advocacy, Inclusion, and Change. This is so critical because I think so many entities now, whether it's a production company or a network or a studio or whomever has money, has some sort of like DNI push, especially in this year. You can tell from the marketing, you can tell from the kind of commercials we're seeing, you can tell from just going on Netflix and there being a strong black lead channel where you can go in and just see projects like, you know, Carrie Washington doing American Sun or earlier this year when, when programs like Just Mercy was available for free for everyone to watch on streaming. But for me, Black Monarch Entertainment is that system for advocacy, inclusion and change, period, from the top down. The last thing I want to say too, you know, before you ask your next question is, I've been working on another algorithm since E equals MC squared. Einstein captured that one. It was cute when I wrote a paper as a kid, but 
you know, as I, as I get older and, you know, as my vision for myself and for my future kind of gets sharper and more refined, I thought of my own test to really hold myself to that high standard that I'm kind of setting for myself. So the Bechtel test. So the Bechtel test is all about figuring out the woman's role in movies or TV show as it relates to a man. So you'll look in a movie, you'll look at a TV show. And if there's a movie like The Godfather, I don't know how, how much it passed the Bechtel test because it's mostly men. And whenever there's a woman in there, it's like, you know, on the eve of my, on my daughter's wedding, you know, it's, it's always facilitated by what's happening with the man. It also has to do with what women are talking about. So if you watch a show like Sex in the City, even though there's still a lot of women in that, it probably still doesn't like pass the Bechdel test very often because, you know, Samantha, as she's sitting and, you know, writing in her diary, it's about Mr. Big or, you know, about the, the man of the episode. So I kind of, I'm working on creating a test called the butterfly test. You heard it here first. I'm just going to kind of talk through it and before I trademark it and publish it, this is something that I've been really thinking about. So the butterfly test, it has to do, and out of a score of 100%, about the representation, the audience, and the reach of any given project. Now, the question is, now how on earth are you going to figure out an algorithm that's going to you know, really distill everything you're talking about? What I've been thinking is, who is the project from? Who is it for? And what legacy does it leave behind? So when I think about who is it from, that's the voice, right? It's who's the director, who's, who's the writer, what studio entity is it coming from? Is it inclusive? Is it filtered? Is it pure? Is it nuanced? Now, again, back to the theory of relativity. It's all relative. You could ask one person that would say, well, you know, if it's coming from Spike Lee, I think Spike Lee is amazing. I think Spike Lee is not amazing. I think that if you look at Spike Lee projects from a certain year, he's amazing. But you know, it's, it's just, it's all relative. So as I, as I completely make this up, I think that in the same way that you have lists that are like the 100 greatest movie of all time, I think that as I build this algorithm, it's again, going to be relative. But we look at who's it for? Who is the audience? Is it targeted? Meaning, again, going back to I May Destroy You, it's such a specific show, right? Michaela Cole came up through the UK system, through BBC, Chewing gum, so specific, so, so specific. And I May Destroy You, it's on HBO. HBO is you know, one of the most curated spaces for content and they do that on purpose. Is it targeted? Is it broad? And there's nothing wrong with broad. But again, going back to shows like Blackish, Blackish is on ABC. And you know, for people who aren't streaming or paying money for premium cable, there's nothing wrong with broadcast. I actually think that in a lot of ways, broadcast gets a lot of flack. And I think that's a, a lot of reasons why broadcast has had to really catch up in the streaming game. Like that's why NBC has Peacock and, you know, TBS, which is basic cable, not broadcast, but still, you know, kind of operating on some of those older operating systems. Why, you know, they're part of HBO Max. So there's nothing wrong with these entities. But I think when you kind of go back to what a lot of writers heard, I'll call it yesteryear or back when TV dinners were the way that we all kind of held space, we would hear, we want to make it broad. Oh, we got to have commercial appeal. We got to... The whole... We have to get as many numbers as we can. And I don't think that's, that's really super true anymore. Or the audience, is it oversimplified? Are we saying, okay, we just want it to be for women age 40 and up? Like that, 
I mean, how many different women do you know 40 and up that don't watch the same thing? So that's four. And then the last piece is, is reception, the response, the reach, the legacy. I think a lot of that comes down to the, the monetary make of the project. So how much did it do versus how much money was put into it? But at the end of the day, I want this to be all about culture. And I wanted to say, did it do it for the culture? So I think the algorithm right now is going to be, who is it from? Divided by, who is it for? Multiplied by the reception. And I hope that equals 100%. So I'll give you an example that I think, two examples that I think would get 100%. So one is Crazy Rich Asians and one is Black Panther. I'm going to specifically talk about Black Panther because, you know, we're just a week or so out from that news that Chadwick Boseman passed and the entire world is in mourning. And there's a reason for that. So if you see who it's from, top, that's Ryan Coogler, right? It's Reggie Hudlin who wrote that graphic novel. It's Ruth Carter who did the costuming for Malcolm X and several other projects before doing the costuming for Black Panther. It's the music of the album being curated by Kendrick Lamar. Everything is so intentional. It's, it's Ryan Coogler saying, well, I created a whole, not, not a Bible necessarily. I can't remember the word he used, but he created a whole binder, we'll say, that every single head of production used that basically said, here's all of my research that I've done. And now I want you to add your expertise on top of it. So for instance, Ruth Carter, the costumer, was like, I didn't just like make costumes. We traveled across the entire continent and diaspora, which is not necessarily all Africa, but it could be the Caribbean. It could be reached into Asia. And she's like, you know, we looked at the beading of different tribes. We looked at the texture of what different tribes use. We're really specific with the colors. So if you remember the scene, one really, really big fight scene with Lapita's character, Denai's character, and Chad's character. When they first walk up to the balcony, their colors were red, green, and black, which is the colors of the Pan-African flag. So specific. So that's who it's from. Who is it for? We know who it's for because when you look at how powerful the representation was, it's for all of those children who, when they found out they were going to see a free screening of it with their school, they were all cheering and crying. It's for the same children who all these pictures went viral after Chad's passing who were doing, they were basically holding space for their action figures. I don't know if you saw any of those pictures, but it basically was all these different Marvel characters who you would have seen maybe in Avengers Age of Ultron or you know Avengers Endgame. And you had T'Challa as the action figure, as the fallen hero in the middle. And the kids were doing the Wakanda Forever salute to him, which is like, Amazing, right? So it, yes, it's for it's specifically for the diaspora. And then when you multiply that by the reception, oh my God. Again, it's it's global mourning. It's it's not just Africans or African Americans that are mourning. It's anyone who's a bit who's, who's a Marvel fan. It's anyone who has lost someone to cancer. It's anyone who, you know, has has fought a silent battle and received such public flack for it. But also the money. I don't know. I don't, can't recall if it's like the number one highest grossing movie of all time, but it's for sure in the top five, which is incredible. So I think if you were to put Crazy Rich Asians through the algorithm, and again, it's all relative. This could just be from my understanding of when I went to the movie theater, who, who was in there 
one thing I want to say here is because it's a, a conversation I have a lot with my Asian friends. You know, one of my former bosses at TBS, Jennifer Kim, who I love so dearly, she's Korean American. And we've had a lot of conversations lately about how to combine forces of Asian Hollywood and Black Hollywood. And why it's really difficult is when you have projects like Black Panther and you see all these different tribes and cultures come together and there's a word in Bombay and now we're all doing the Wakanda salute. Like that's amazing, you know, and and combining Michael B. Jordan's character who really just represents any African-American who's felt placeless from their connection back to Africa. We have been doing the work ever since Liberia, ever since civil rights in the 60s of trying to combine, of being able to kind of like mend that wound. But Asia is so different, right? Korea is not the same as China, is not the same as Japan, is not the same as India, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think what I will continue working on is there's no Asian diaspora necessarily, but I do think that there are a lot of shared values, shared customs, and also just shared goals in terms of the types of representation that we want to see. And again, you know, as soon as you start to bring in other cultures, and you start to look at things like equal payday, which was such a huge deal for me as a feminist, Black women's equal payday, Latinx women's equal payday, etc. You start to see that as you get into other cultures, it's even worse. Meaning, I'll explain what equal payday is. It basically means how far into the calendar year women of different backgrounds have to work in order to make the same amount of money as a white man from the previous year. And Black Women's Equal Pay Day this year and last year was in August. And I think for Asian American women, it was a little bit earlier in the year. But for like Latinx women, I think it's in October, which is like, you're telling me that a lot of these women who are essential workers or immigrants or maybe not, they could be first, they could be second gen. You know, I think a lot of times we just lump them all together, have to work until October, almost a full another calendar year. And in order to provide for their family, like that's crazy. And these are not holidays like Christmas or Labor Day that are fixed days out of the year. This is something that is, is movable. So again, as I think about how to combine forces with, with all of these other subgroups in Hollywood, and I think about this mosaic, and I think about you know the ethos and pathos of Black Monarch Entertainment, you know, just know that as a, an executive producer, as a consulting producer, supervising producer, and also as talent, you know, I will be acting in some of my projects, writing some projects, probably directing at a certain point too. As I kind of start to sit in all of these different seats, know that this is the way my brain and my heart and my spirit, honestly, are going to be working for every single project, every piece of talent, and every opportunity that comes across my desk. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, 
a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickering Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You just explained the butterfly test and you mentioned earlier relating and identifying to a butterfly. But I imagine as part of your company, you're also looking for those current or future butterflies. So how do you find creators and how do you choose your projects? I imagine you'll be using butterfly tests uh, to kind of (laughs) filter what you choose to work on. Yes. So I use words like curation all the time because again, as an artist, some of my favorite spaces are galleries. That's something that I've been missing this year is the opportunity to go to visual galleries and kind of see a collective of artists work and whoever the curator is either praising them or saying, oh, okay, you missed out. So for me, I am incredibly, incredibly discerning. And what I'm looking for is what is the next project that is able to shift cultural conversations and mindsets? Because at the end of the day, like I said, the stakes have never been higher. And so when I think about the power of shows like Modern Family and how it kind of changed people's perspective of honestly gay marriage that was around the same time as Prop 8, you know, was catching, catching some steam and some motivation, it changed a lot of people's minds. Now, what I will say is, I think that white men who are gay or, you know, who are in those kind of relationships have always been more culturally accepted. You know, I live in Los Angeles. And if you look at the way that West Hollywood is, it's strip after strip after strip of gay bars. But nine times out of 10, they're for white men. I'm a queer black woman. You know, I have a a female partner and I don't really party anymore. I'm a very, like, I'm a grandma. I'd rather have a cup of tea and listen to vinyl. But if there was a night where I was going to go out and hang out with my friends, I don't think there's any, if there's any lesbian bars left, it's like, a relic. You know, it's same thing in in New York. Like you you might have like one or two spaces. But thankfully in New York, it's just a much bigger city and there's so many different neighborhoods and it's it's so much more of a well a melting pot. But in LA, it's not quite that way. You know, so it's like I definitely want to make sure that as I'm working on projects, it's not just gonna be, okay, well this is more culturally accepted if it's a white man. You know, I think of even evolving that idea a little bit more you have shows, another network show, like This Is Us. And if you are able to see just the, the real resonance of that program, it's not just in every time you watch an episode, how often you cry or how often you know, different types of people are tuning in and how many awards, every single award season, it garners so many awards. It's how you feel, right? It's how you feel when you watch it. It's the kind of thoughts that you have afterwards. It's the kind of conversations that it opens up. But what I will say is, if you go back to the butterfly test, when we look at the legacy, the reception, doing it for the culture, a lot of times when you say a project is doing something for the culture, that doesn't mean that it got awards. In fact, more often than not, it didn't. So if you think about shows like The Wire, 
oh my God, one of the most iconic shows of all time. And I don't believe it ever won a single award in terms of like an Emmy, which is nuts. You know, so we also have to look towards other entities. I think so often, even earlier, I said, you've got to be reading Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and Variety. And you know, (laughs) if you're like me, you have those media alerts on and all day long, you're pinged. But you also should be looking at Shadow and Act, right? Which is, it's a media outlet that's specifically for Black people. You should also be reading Essence and Ebony and you know all of these other outlets that often have loved and celebrated our work before. Like by the time it gets to deadline of writer, Hollywood Reporter, you know, you're you're Issa Rae, right? Who has this opportunity on the red carpet to say, I'm rooting for everybody black. But before that, she was doing Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. And we all loved it and rode hard for it way before it ever became insecure, you know? So as I'm looking for materials, you know, right now, most of my, I would say, submissions are pretty closed in terms of solicited versus unsolicited material. Just because, as I said, I really hit the ground running and I have a lot of projects. But, you know, once production is back underway and we have some movies that are out and some TV shows and the podcasts and the talk shows, and once we're able to like really start digging into like what's new, and what's next. I think the strategy that everyone at my company is going to be working on and what they're going to be looking for is, again, like what is that most concentrated, like Kool-Aid before you add the water version of every single project? And not because we want to be drinking the Kool-Aid necessarily, not that, but because it's like once you start really watering it down and adding it through those filters, I want people to know that we are going to be protecting the idea the artist, the IP, as you know, we, we sell up. The last thing that I'll say too is a lot of people have asked me in the past few weeks, you know, what's the difference between a production company and a studio and a network? And like, why would you start a company when you could be you know, doing X, Y, and Z? So we're going to be having a first look or an overall deal at a really big studio that will be exciting when the announcement comes out. So I'll, I will reserve that as a surprise for everyone. But once that deal closes, one, you'll understand, oh, that's why she left Kerry Washington. Because otherwise, why would Olivia Charmaine leave Olivia Pope, truly? But even even beyond that transition, I do want to make sure that everyone fully understands that production companies are... They can exist inside and outside of the system. So there's a lot of production companies that don't have first look deals and don't have overall deals and, and don't have that assurance that every single project they have, they'll be able to pitch it to one of the other entities that's connected to that studio or network. I'm very fortunate that that will be the case for me. But for all these people who, you know, are... I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, who are living in Cincinnati, who started their own production company with their friends, you know, that went to college with them, or if they didn't go to college, but they're, they're still cranking out content, or anyone that has a YouTube page and they're shooting everything on their iPhones, or people that are international, people who are like, I'm working in... Ghana, I'm working in Berlin, I'm working somewhere where I'm not living in LA or New York. Just know that it's my job to find you too. You know, a lot of projects on my slate when I say Omni Channel, it's also global. So, one person that I, I just started working with, he's this awesome animator, and I'm going to call him out. So, when he listens to it, he's like, What? His name is Chaz. And he, you know, was originally from Cleveland, went to school in Chicago, and started his own animation production company and has been putting out so much content. I never saw any of his content before seeing a Kickstarter for his next project. And which is incredible. I'm like, the fact that you put out so much content before 
I even saw you is just a testimony to your brilliance and resilience and and honestly just not giving up on yourself because how often do we self-finance things and run out of money and it doesn't get to that finish line, whatever the finish line means to you, whether that's a film festival or getting it online or anything. What's really cool about Chaz is he has this Kickstarter for a new, for a short film that is so awesome and so beautiful. And I'm not going to spoil it because right now he could still take that somewhere else. But what I'll say is similar to Hair Love, you know, the short film that was done by Matthew Cherry and he won an Oscar for it. You know, I've known Matthew for years because he directed an episode of The Last OG. And before that, he was working at Monkey Paw, which is Jordan Peele's company, which is who brought us The Last OG. And I remember seeing a cut of the short. I remember hearing about the picture book. I remember the night before the Oscars being like, he's going to win. So in this moment, as I came across Chad's Kickstarter, I could have just supported it and been like, here's a dollar or here's $10 or whatever my bank account, however it was set up that day. Or I could have said, I want to reach out to this guy and see what his vision is. And when we had a meeting, it's expansive. You know, It's like, it could be a short film and that's what we have budgeted through the end of the year. But I'd love to talk about it as a feature because that's if I had the money, this is what I'd want to do. So now that I'm in the position that I'm in, I could say, well, let's talk about the most expansive version of your dream. And if that's a feature, listen, my background is TV. I don't know features very well, but let's figure it out together. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. You know, His project is multicultural. It's, even though it's animated, it's based in a city where that's very multicultural. It's musical, which I love. And it's animated in a, in a lot of ways. You know, We have projects like Coco and Moana and a lot of these projects that are animated and musical. But again, when it comes back to you know, projects for Black audiences, I couldn't name other than Motown, which is this awesome show on Netflix that came out a year or so ago. It's really hard to name animated programs that are specifically for Black audiences. You know, you have Doc McStuffins, which is super cute. But that's for preschool. You know, I, I want to see something that is, is really for families. So I'm excited to you know, be in potential new business with him. But even beyond that, you know, as, again, as we talk about what I'm looking for going forward, I just named a lot of things. It's Black, it's young, it's musical, it's animated, it's from a creator that will be new to most people. So yeah, that's a lot of different access points for artists who are going to be flocking and trying to get in touch with me after this. Definitely, I want to see you hitting one of these buckets. Otherwise, you know, I work with agents and managers. They always send me lists of people. But outside of the people who are already on these lists, already have an agent, already have a manager, if you're new, bring the heat. You know, show me. I want to see reels. I want to see Instagram pages. I want to see what you shot on your, on your phone or with your camera. Like if you've done no work, meaning if you haven't even written a pilot script for yourself or have an outline or a treatment or something and you're just sitting on ideas, you're not ready to talk to me yet. You just gave some advice for writers to meet those buckets that you're looking for. But is there one piece of advice from your entire career that you would choose? Is there one thing for those writers listening who are either hoping to get their work out there or into your hands that you would share? Yes. So this actually isn't advice that I was given, but it's something that I learned over time. I'm such a networker. And a lot of times people say that's a dirty word, but they still do it. And it's so funny because even if you're on LinkedIn, it's like, do you want to build your network? And people say it's gross, but it's what we do. But I've learned over the years is there's not one thing that you can only get from one person. Meaning, even if right now you're super excited about you know this conversation and this new company and like, who is this person? She sounds like a young mogul. Like, How do I get in touch with her? 
know that I'm not the only person in town that's having these same conversations. And, you know, whether the goal is to just get me to respond to your LinkedIn message or just come speak to your school or whatever it is, know that one, either all in due time or there's someone else that could have that conversation with you that would make you just as excited. So from my perspective, I can't tell you how many times I went to a panel and I was like, oh my God, if I just shake the one person's hand that I came here to see, it'll change my life. Or, you know, I sent so many emails with my resume. If just one person bites and gives me a call, I'm going to get this job. And now in my position, I'm like, I've met a lot of people in Hollywood and especially in Black Hollywood. Still haven't met Michelle Obama. Still haven't met Oprah. But I know people at OWN and I know people at Higher Ground, Obama's production company. So for me, as we look at like six degrees of separation, half a degree of separation, just know that even though I'm so excited to meet Michelle Obama, it's like, why? If I'm so excited to meet Oprah, why? If you really force yourself to ask yourself questions, okay, what do you hope to get out of that conversation or that meeting or whatever? Know that if you force yourself to really distill it down to its parts, I want some inspiration. I want to talk to someone successful. You know, I want to X, Y, and Z. Know that whatever you're answering, that answer is your truth. And that truth is, well, what will set you free. Love that. Last and most important question. Drum roll, please. Normally, if Harry was here, mm-hmm. pre-quarantine, he'd be drumming. He'd be drumming. He would hand me I'll an snap. envelope. I love that. I got you. And then... <laughs> snapping. I'm snapping. I love that. I got you. <laughs> and then he would hand me an envelope. And I would kind of dramatically read it and say, the last yeah. question is... And I would always say, did you have fun today with us talking about your new company, which is so exciting. And we're really excited to hear about the first look uh, situation that you mentioned. So please keep us updated on that. I'm sure everyone listening to is very excited. So as soon as that is announced or anything new is announced, just keep us posted and we're happy to support and put it out there. I will. Um, I will. Did I have fun? I mean, (laughs) you know, we're BFFs from afar. I'm so glad we get to be BFFs of clothes. And yes, I had so much fun. I just want to say, you know, just for you, thank you so much for not only this opportunity to come back on and be a friend of the show and be a friend for all these listeners, but also just smaller than that, because I think we've had such global conversations right now as we're thinking about our loved ones, but also just pulling everyone close in terms of like how our small circles just know that I'm really proud of you for continuing to have these big, broad conversations but also making sure that the intimacy of these smaller conversations and our personal relationship is awesome. So I just want to say I'm proud of you. Thank you for creating this space. And thank you for having me back on the show. Thank you so much, Olivia. That means a lot. It's a pleasure. You've always had such a great energy. From the very beginning, we reached out to you years ago. So it's awesome that we can continue to have these conversations and it's very important to have them. So before you go, did you want to plug anything? Obviously, Black Monarch Entertainment is here to stay. Did you want to shout anything out? Are there websites, handles, anything for those listening? So the company is so new. I'm still working on the website, which is fun. But what I will say is follow my Instagram. It's at Olivia underscore Charmaine, C-H-A-R-M-A-I-N-E. That's where you'll have the most updates. That's where I'll post about the First Look deal. That's where I'll continue posting about Black Lives Mattering. That's where I'll keep posting about all my feminist initiatives. That's where I call out content that I love, artists that I love. Specifically, as you follow me, look at the highlights because I really curate everything from... There's one highlight reel called Curated Gallery where I post visual artists that I love. There's one that's called TV Crush Tuesday where I'll talk about everything from I Love Lucy to What's Out Now. So just pay attention to that. Obviously, it's my personal life and my travels too. But for the most part, 
this summer, something I've been doing is just really trying to curate my spaces so that as people enter into my life and enter my space, they're like, who is this person? But there's also a new Instagram handle that just went live a couple of days ago that's called at Black Monarch ENT that will also be, you know, following and amplifying and celebrating all of the changes that come with this company as well. So both of them are up and running. Amazing. If you're listening, please check those out. Olivia, thank you again so much for your insights and your time. It was an honor. Of course. Good luck with Black Monarch <laughs> Entertainment. We're very excited. Thank you. Thank you, All my right. friend. I will talk to you soon. And you as well. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.